Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. Today, I will be sharing my interview with Dr. Natalie Hangstebeck. I met Dr. Hangstebeck through a recommendation from Dr. Carol Johnston, who contacted me through the hdfscareers.com website. Thank you for the recommendation, Dr. Johnston. Dr. Hangstebeck is currently an American Association for the Advancement of Science, Science and Technology Policy Fellow at the National Science Foundation, where she works on strategic partnerships and evaluation within the Computer and Information Science and Engineering Directorate. Dr. Hangstebeck earned both an MS and a PhD in Human Development and Family Studies from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. She also earned a bachelor's degree in psychology from DePaul University with minors in sociology, professional writing, and communications and media studies. In this episode, she shares the story of how she found the field of HDFS and her professional experiences to date. As is true for all interviewees on this podcast, Dr. Hangstebeck's views are her own as a private citizen and do not reflect the views of her current, former, or future employers. Without further ado, here's her interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hangstebeck. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. We'll go ahead and jump right into it. To start, can you tell me a little bit about how you discovered the field of human development and family studies? I believe that you, um, your earliest degree is at the master's level. Can you um, share how you learned about the field and what was interesting to you? Absolutely. I did my undergraduate degree in psychology and I minored in sociology, communications and media studies and technical writing. And my thinking in that was that there's a lot that a lot of different disciplines bring to the table in understanding how the world works. And I don't think that you can learn about the world through a single discipline lens. And what I learned as an undergrad is that a lot of disciplines have very specific rules. So as a psychology major, I was really frustrated that the vast majority of research was done with college students you know, in small college towns and so on. And that was used to generalize to the whole population. Well, only 25%, uh, it might be a little bit higher now, but at the, at the time, my thinking, I think about 26% of Americans go to college. So you're already looking at a specific sample of people. You're looking at a, a privileged group of people. And also you're, you know, my interests were in couples and families and how, how can you learn from, from my from my perspective, how can you learn fundamental things about marriage and relationships and families and parenting and children from a group of people, primarily 18 to 22 in, in college psychology classes? Um, yeah. I also engaged in undergraduate research and did a study on personality and the um, students who participated in my study on relationships and personality were a full standard deviation higher on neuroticism than the the average population and so i had a lot of concerns about what does this research even mean mm -hmm. and i wanted to find a field that would let me work with real people and people who would would represent the diversity of the united states and also the, the people who I'm trying to help, I think it, um, you know, I, I wanted to get into psychology and later human development and family studies because I wanted to help children and families. And it felt insincere to try to spend a career doing research 
um, primarily college students. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, you've hit on something like a big criticism of, of, of the field, right? Um, that so much of that research, you're right, is done mm -hmm. on, I, my dissertation, my, myself for my doctoral program, it was on college students, you're right, and so you only get this narrow lens. Uh, but I love what you said too at the beginning that, you know, you don't really feel like you can get a real full picture of your learning through studying only one discipline. And so you've been able to combine your background from multiple disciplines and have a more full picture. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so, so did you just, did you start, I guess, researching, just kind of asking around about different programs and did that kind of lead you to stumble across the um, graduate programs in human development and family studies or did you hear about it from somebody else, hear a good recommendation? It was a very fortunate Google search, I suppose. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm a first generation college student, so I did not know how to navigate graduate school really well at all. And so uh, I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school. I, did, I didn't know what kind and I didn't know all sorts of, all sorts of things, but I was, I was pretty certain that I wanted to work with couples. And so I thought at one point, I thought I wanted to be a wedding planner and then a divorce lawyer, help people get together, help people break up. And then I got <laughs> landed somewhere in the middle, which is help, um, help couples st figure, figure out what makes healthy relationships and, and kind of get a better understanding of, of what makes relationships good, healthy, sustainable, um, and so on. And so I landed in the research space, which meant going, going to grad school, um, in the type of work that I wanted to do. And I suppose as I was searching for different, different faculty, really, it was, honestly, it was just Google searching until I found something. And then I learned about the program. And then I was like, oh, maybe this is a better fit. And um, when the person who would go on to become my PhD advisor was telling me about sending people to families' homes to do interviews, it, it very much resonated with me. And this was specifically with Mexican immigrant families. So this is very far removed from, from some of what I'd seen in psychology. And sociology has, has, has its own rules. Um, that, certainly you can learn about people by studying college students. I don't mean to, to denigrate a whole field. And, and certainly you can learn a lot about society from big surveys and, um, you, know, you know, I did a cross-national dissertation, for example. And so you, I, you can learn a lot from those types of big data sets. At the same time, there's there's a lot that you can learn in that in between. Um, I've often told people I feel like psychology is very much the study of of the individual, and sociology is the study of society, and human development family studies is the the relationships between groups of people. And I found that a really helpful. I don't know that anybody else agrees with me, but th this is kind of my philosophy. And so it's you know it's teachers and children, parents and children, you know marital partners and so on. Um, and that aspect of it really drew me into the field. I think you've really hit on something there. We might have to <laughs> quote you. For, I, I did another interview and, um, uh, the professional was saying it, what, as soon as she walked into the classroom and she saw, saw Bromfenbrenner's, you know, model up, she's like, finally, somebody's talking about, <laughs> talking about all of the different levels, you know, like talking about the individual, but then also all the various kind of systems and um, their relationships. So no, exactly. I think that th that's a great way to explain it. Um, I love that. Oh, and at, at various points, 
I would say I didn't find everything I needed in human development family studies. And I've since gone back to sociology and I've gone back to other disciplines. Yeah. Okay. So you go to graduate school. What is your experience like in the graduate program? You've already said like, yes, that sounds like a really exciting opportunity being able to go to families' homes and actually now be immersed in the family environment and just cut, instead of just talking about it through surveys. But um, so I assume that you were involved in that research, but what was the rest of your grad school experience like, especially being a first-generation college student? So I, I went straight into graduate school out of undergrad. And so I moved to Greensboro and graduate school, I think for everybody is, is a mixed bag. And I think in so many ways, I, I grew a lot. And also there were a lot of things that I struggle with in the, in, in higher education and in the academy generally. I think in a lot of respects, there were a lot of wonderful things. I learned a lot about, about human development and family studies. I had a lot of opportunities to work on great research, um, primarily with Mexican immigrant families. Um, I had a wonderful, wonderful advisor, um, Dr. Heather Helms, and I, I, couldn't ha- I couldn't have had a better mentor. There were a lot of great classes. Um, I think a lot of people who end up in human development family studies don't, off, don't always have perfect family lives. And so I learned a lot of information that would go on to inform how, how I lived my life and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, higher education is a very interesting place. And it was hard to, it was hard to navigate as, as a first generation student. That said, I think my advisor had a great track record of, of graduating first-generation students through the master's and PhD. Um, I think the department has a pretty good track record of getting students from getting students through. At the same time, there's, there's a lot of things that are specific to higher ed that didn't make sense to me. So the incentive structure, for example, that how success is, is measured is often in terms of, of research output, in terms of publications, in terms of pre- presentations at conferences. And I think I did good work and presented good work, but I've, I've always struggled with um, does, how, how, how does this impact the, the families at the end of the day? And how, how can we have the most impact on the people who we're, we're trying to help and support? And I think, I don't think it's unique to that grad program. I think it's, it's a larger issue in higher education. And so as, as I spent more time in higher education, I really developed these, these policy interests. And so I found a lot of opportunities to supplement what I was learning in the graduate program elsewhere. I spent a summer at the Rand Corporation working on a military families project looking at, at families' experiences before, during, and after deployment. And that, that was a great, um, a great experience to do a little bit more applied research. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I did a Fulbright in the Netherlands in a sociology and public administration department. And I, did a, I set up the foundation for my dissertation, which was a cross-national study of families in Europe and different interactions between um, gender and parenting and 
and mental health and relationship outcomes in different countries. And so there were a lot of aspects about human development and family studies that I could then bridge with sociology and so on. So I really appreciated the versatility of a human development and family studies education in a lot of ways. I think it, it allowed me to move between different fields. Um, and I appreciated that I, I don't think human development and family studies is quite as entrenched in, in the rules of the disciplinary rules by virtue of being a younger discipline than some of the others about this is, this is the only way to do research. Um, while at the same time, you know, I, I struggled a lot with the way that higher ed has, has certain expectations for publishing furiously, you know, there, there are disincentives to engage in public policy. There are a lot of people who are motivated to only write for their peers and not necessarily do the outreach with the communities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and not always serve, not always, uh, not always serve the people who we got into this work to serve. Yeah. It starts to feel really removed from exactly. Yeah. From the end goal that, that the passion that leads people to uh, enter this field in the first place. I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people would agree with you. Like, yeah, the, the intense focus on publishing just for the sake of publishing, you know, just for the sake of, um, of uh, generating a lot of output at, at, at a certain point, if you become too focused on not saying that that's a bad thing, but if you become too focused on it, then yeah, it's, you, it, it can be easy to be, suddenly become removed from actually disseminating the information to people who can really use it and really, um, working in more applied domains. Uh, so you, you really, um, uh, people might not know who are listening, but like these are some pretty prestigious <laughs> um, opportunities uh, <laughs> that, that you have had. <laughs> I just want to point that out. So how, um, in terms of like the RAND research opportunity when you're working at the pol policy think tank, uh, and then also with Fulbright, how did you just decide to pursue those opportunities or did they come to you? How did that come about? So I think, again, partially by virtue of being a first generation college student and just not knowing, and I, I, I really don't think I understood networks and things to the extent that I do now. I did some happenstance Google searching. It was, I, I didn't always feel like I fit in graduate school and I think the big thing was that I was never sure if, if the academy was for me. I went in thinking that, of course, I wanted to be a professor. And, and the more time I spent in it, the less sure I was that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to drop out of graduate school, but I wanted to find ways to engage in different types of, of work. Through Google searching, I came across the RAND Summer Associate Program, which hires graduate students to come to one of their locations in Santa Monica, Pittsburgh, and DC. Um, it could be other offices now, but at the time it was those three, to, to do work on, on various um, projects that were, they were working on within, within the organization. And it was an incredible um, experience to spend three months and I, I moved to Santa Monica and I highly, highly recommend it to, to anybody who's interested and I'm always happy to 
chat if anybody wants to hear about it. Oh, um, that was that was a very serendipitous thing. I think um, much like grad school, I didn't know what I was doing, and if I were to do it again, I would have you know reached out to the researcher researchers ahead of time and asked who had projects and who was hiring <laughs> and all sorts of things. But I kind of just happenstance put a couple of names down at people who I'd like to work with, and the person who I most wanted to work with was working on what she hit uh, Dr. Sarah Meadows uh, was working on what she has called the highlight of her career, the deployment life study. It looks at families mental health and relationships and parenting and workforce retention and all sorts of outcomes across the spectrum to see how military families are doing over the course of deployment. And by wonderful serendipity, I started there about maybe two weeks after they had finished four years of data collection. And so everything really worked out and I got very lucky. Um, I had, yeah, I had an, I had an incredible experience there. It Um, sounds like it. Yes. And the Fulbright was also somewhat serendipitous. So Dr. Dan Perlman, who was on my committee, introduced me at a conference to Dr. Pearl Dykstra, who's a professor in the Netherlands. They, I think, I think he had done a Fulbright and they had met in the Netherlands in in the seventies, perhaps something like that. I immediately was so enamored with the work that she she was showing um, at this conference. And so she was showing a, a study of grandparenting and found that in countries with less uh, robust social safety nets, children live closer to their grandparents part, out of a necessity because when the safety net isn't there, the, there's more pressure on families to pick up what, what government doesn't provide. So by necessity, people lived closer to... Um, to grandparents. What struck me so much about that research is the way in which public policy really shapes everyday decisions that families make. It's one thing to say, distance yourself from toxic family members and to teach people in a class about that. It's another thing when relying on family members is your only option. Yeah. And so this interest about what's the responsibility of public policy and what's the responsibility of, of families has consumed my brain for a long time now. And the way in which she did this work really intrigued me. So this was back in 2012 when I met her. Um, and then we kept in touch. And then in what would have been my final year was the year that I wanted to go. So a few years later, I reached out to her we met at a conference beforehand. I said, I really want to apply for Fulbright and I want to come and, and work on your team. And she was very enthusiastic. And so, yeah, I put, put the wheels of ocean and did it during graduate school. I would say most people do it right after bachelor's degree or post PhD more, more frequently. And so it was interesting to be in this in-between space, but it was really nice to have a, um, something of a graduate school sabbatical, um, yes. if you will, to really be able to do the dissertation that I want to do um, and, and really be able to work with the people who designed this international data set. And yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. I don't, I don't know who first pointed me to Fulbright. It, it may very well have been my advisor, but it, it was an incredible experience and I highly recommend it to anybody in graduate school or not. It sounds like it sounds amazing. Okay. So you, you're able to take this, like you said, this 
sabbatical in graduate school, really immerse yourself in this research. That's so exciting to you. So it's a great way to cap off your experience. So as that's winding down and as you're, you're finishing up your doctoral program, your PhD program, um, what are you thinking? What are you planning to do? And then what do you actually end up doing right after graduation? I'll confess to you that I had a bit of a crisis. Um, I, I was very unsure of what to do. I knew that I didn't want to do a faculty route, or I was, pre I was pretty sure that I didn't want to do a faculty route. I, I applied to, I think, two, two positions, but I, I, I knew that it wasn't quite right. And I still didn't have the best ideas of, of what all were my options. So I did apply for a job at the Rand Corporation, there are so many things that you can do with a PhD. And I think that there are so many spaces for, for social scientists in general. And um, I didn't have a full understanding of what all of the options were. I've since learned about science careers and they have this thing called my IDP and you enter in what you're good at and what you're interested in and what you value. And it, it actually helps produce like a rank of different types of things that you might do. So for example, um, you might, you might be a faculty researcher in a research intensive institution and publish, and that might be exactly what you want to do. You might go into um, grant writing, for example, and help nonprofit organizations or, or wh whoever it may be um, write, write grants um, to, to provide certain programs or, or support their efforts or whatever it may be. You, you might go into a teaching career and, and focus um, you know, more on the teaching aspect than on the research aspect. You might go into science education through, for K through 12 and think about um, more, more broadly what that could look like. And so, I mean, that could, be, um, that could be museums, for example, that could be visiting different schools to teach science as a general thing or bring a social science perspective into, into science classrooms. You might work in government administering grants, and there's a lot of neat opportunities to shape the direction of future research that other people apply to to fund their research. You might pursue a career in policy, and you, you could do that in multiple ways. Um, you know, certainly you can run for office and so on, but also the government, local, state, federal, has a ton of opportunities for people who are interested in different types of paths. I had a fantastic informational interview the other day with someone in state government who works um, with a children's cabinet, which is a certain number of states have a designated body where they bring together all of the people who provide services for children. So it's usually the state superintendent, the head of juvenile justice, you know, whoever administers the, the women, infants, and children program or the CHIP the children's health insurance program and you bring all those people together to have conversations about holistic children, uh, how, to, how to serve children more holistically. There are so many different career options. And I think at that time when I was preparing to graduate about as far as I could think was, you know, Rand Corporation, which to me, if, if you put all of these on a spectrum, I would say Rand is relatively close to, to academia. And all that to say, that's not even getting into, you know, you might go to Facebook. I know a number of HDFS alums who've, who've gone onto Facebook and do really interesting social network analysis and, and really enjoy their work. There's so much you can do. And at that point, it, I just had a very limited understanding of what it was. I was thinking, 
Rand Corporation, I was thinking Mathematica, which is another think tank and the Urban Institute, all, all do great work, child trends, all, all excellent places, but it, I didn't quite find the right fit for me. A lot of those were still publishing papers and, and doing research and they, they certainly do more applied research, but I wasn't sure that it was the right fit. And I was on the market and I spent a lot of time in the market and I, I interviewed for, for a couple positions, but, but really that I, I will level with you that it was a really hard, hard year. You're trying to finish your dissertation and you're trying to find a job and you're trying to find something that feels right. And as I look back on it now, there's, there's a couple things on my mind. One, a good graduate education should put you on, on the cutting edge of, of something, right? And I think in some ways, the type of job and the jobs that I've had since really were brand new and didn't exist before. And so it's, it's hard to, the, the, both the postdoc and the position that I hold now, um, the fellowship existed and I'll get into that, but um, it, it didn't quite exist yet. And so there's, there's always that uh, tension of when you have a skill set that a lot of people need, but they, they may not have the job title for it yet in their organization. Hmm. And so really I, I you know, I, I, I struggled and, um, outwardly, I don't know if people would look at it. People, people sometimes look at my credentials and think I had it all figured out, but, but really that was a really, really hard time for me. And by another delightful case of serendipity, the position that I ended up in, which was supposed to start the following year, they weren't even supposed to advertise it, was, was moved up. So, so basically, um, as I was on the market for almost a whole, a whole academic year, actually, in June of 2017, I came across this job posting that I thought was completely, I, I was completely um, unprepared for, and there was no way I was going to get it. And it was with the Scholar Strategy Network, and it, which is a um, nonprofit organization that, that was spun out of a Harvard research lab that basically helps academics engage in policy and teaching them you know, the science communication and helping them build the network and building network, building networks within states to inform, inform policy. And it's, it so happened that um, they were looking for postdocs in, in four different um, cities in the United States, including the neighboring town of Durham. I was, I did my degree in Greensboro, but I was living in Chapel Hill and um, Duke was one of the places that was, that was hiring. And I thought it was such a long shot, but I, I spent, I, I, I found out about it very close to the end of the application cycle. I applied and again, by, by some, some wonderful serendipity, it, it worked out and it was a really um, perfect fit for me. So I, my job was to work in North Carolina and provide policy training for, for academics. I, I would get training and then I would, I would um, take that to different, different parts of the state. I would host events and happy hours to bring people together. I would have a lot. I had so many coffee dates one-on-one -on -one with academics learning about where they wanted to engage and, and helping people find the right levers to pull. And I went to the legislature and I got to know different legislators and figured out what issues they cared about and matched them with academics. And so it was much broader than human development and family studies. Um, 
the, the people at the Scottish Strategy Network were fantastic to me. In theory, it was supposed to be 50% this engagement stuff and 50% research. And I told them that really where I wanted to go was, was in that um, outreach and, and policy side of things. And so I, I dedicated much more of my time to that. And it was, it was an incredible two years. I learned I like so many things. Yes. And it really gave me, it got me much closer to where, um, where I wanted to be. And I learned about so many things, including um, North Carolina doesn't have a children's cabinet, as I was describing earlier, but they have a legislative body that's a similar effort. And so they have a child well-being task force, for example. And I would go and listen to the, listen to the meetings. I would get to know um, different people at think tanks and in advocacy groups and, and help form these connections so that legislators could use science to inform policy. I built relationships with, with congressional members, U.S. congressional members, and, and wrote research uh, briefs to help and helped academics write their own research into research briefs. It was, it was, I had an incredible time helping academics in different, in different ways. And I think when I look back on that time now, the way I think about it is there's so many ways to have policy engagement and, and there, there are many ways to do it. So the way that I did it with the Scholar Strategy Network was, was one type, which is generally teaching academics to do more applied research and then to, to execute on the translation. But there are many roles for people who want to fit in that space. So there's, there's what I just mentioned, you know, you might do policy engagement in the classroom. So that's, um, that could take different forms in terms of, um, I have one friend who has, you know, a whole curriculum around teaching, teaching students to call, to call their representatives and how to talk about different issues from a social science perspective. Wow. I have another, another colleague, Dr. Dander Rose at Duke, who created the Duke Policy Lab, which um, she has, um, her students work with a client and the client is a legislator or a city council member or whoever and the the client will come to the group with a question and the small group will work on a on a research project to help them answer whatever that question may be there's a lot of ways to bring in policy in the classroom there is kind of doing more direct advocacy whether that's on your issue itself um you know child and family policy issue perhaps or whether that's around science there are a lot there's a huge organization of people who many people draw this distinction between science for policy and policy for science. Science for policy meaning we did this research study and, and here's what we found and this is what it means for policy and here's what ideal legislation would look like. Then there, there's also policy for science which is there are those same legislators who are voting on paid parental leave and different things are deciding how much money universities get, how much money places like the National Science Foundation, where I now work get, or the National Institutes of Health. And there are people who lobby Congress for more money for science to do research. And so there's, there's different ways to engage in, in advocacy in that way. Mm -hmm. there's, there's also doing different career paths. Those were, those were all kind of things you can do from within the academy. There's different career paths. Um, there's running for office. There's there's a lot of different ways to do that engagement. All that together was was very educational. Yeah, and like you said, there's so many ways to get involved. I think so many people are intimidated because they literally just think, oh, you got to run for office, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but but like you said, there's so uh, many different ways to have an impact. Um, mm -hmm. That definitely sounds like a very rewarding two years. Absolutely. Um, and so 
that position does it was it only a two-year position or did you decide okay it's time to do something else like how did you wind down and how did you transition out of that position and into something else it was a two-year position and so at the end of it i i transitioned out at various points i had learned so much more about some of the different possibilities that existed in, in terms of careers and in terms of other fellowships and I did the Duke Science Policy Summer Institute, which taught, taught me a lot about some of the different places where people work and some of this policy for science world that was, that was new to me. And I did things like the Alan Alda Science Communication Training. That, that was very helpful for, for thinking about how to um, better, better translate your research for different audiences and so on. I, did, I built on all those trainings and a lot of those pointed to the AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Science and Technology Policy Fellowship which is a fellowship that places PhDs in government agencies. And I'll admit that I was, I was originally a little bit discouraged because the agencies that I saw were Department of Energy, National Institutes of Health, National Science Foundation, certain places, um, there, there's about 19 agencies or something like that. It, it's broadly across the government, but I didn't see fellows at housing and urban development. There, are, there aren't very many at um, health and human services, for example. I didn't see them at the type of places where I would see my, I would envision myself in government. But that said, I, I applied, and it's been a really interesting experience. So you, you apply for the fellowship, and then there, you know, there's an initial screening interview, and then you, they bring you out in person, and you interview with basically as as many interviews as you want to have in that week. You can have, and I learned about so many different parts of the government. Um, I went back in this, this past year to, to re-interview at different places um, for the transition that's coming, but it really gave me an understanding, and I'm sure I have many, much more to learn, but it, it gave me a good understanding about like, there are so many things that you can do that you may not have thought of. So for example, I have a background in, in quantitative data analysis. Well, there are certain parts of, of, there are lots of parts of the government that need data management skills and people who can um, help archive data or help make sense of archive data or turn qualitative data into something meaningful. There are organizations, you know, at USAID, for example, U.S. International Development, and they do all sorts of gender empowerment work in different parts of the world. There are research and evaluation positions everywhere and everybody needs that so much right now because everybody's being asked to show results that what they're doing works and there's a lot of translatable um skills from when you think you know a lot of us in human development family studies i think learn about you know education and different things and those types of um educational research methods and and such are really translatable to thinking about evaluation there are positions, again, in, in science administration and deciding what the future of science funding should look like and so on. I could continue, but I'll, I'll stop there. Um, so I, I ended up choosing a position at the National Science Foundation in the Computer and Information Sciences and Engineering Directorate of all places. And in that position, my goal is to work on public-private partnerships. And so what I'm doing now is building coalitions in, in support of science. And while it is computer science related, it's a lot of um, stakeholder engagement and getting to know people at different companies and at, at different parts of the federal government and you know, nonprofits and so on, and different countries sometimes. And how do you bring together teams and coalitions and funding and support to, to do better research? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, not, not just the dollars, but bringing all of the sectors together because the type of problems that, you know, good research wants to solve is not a one sector problem. Right. And so that, that was really attractive to me. And I think a lot of it, while it is removed in some respects from children and families, what I'm doing, I think a lot of it is if you can build those types of coalitions, you, you can, there, there's a power in that. And that's a skill set that is, is valuable being able to bring people together to who wouldn't otherwise connect to do a thing. Yeah. And after uh, the end of August, I'm, I'm transitioning to the, the state department to do research and evaluation. So there's, there's so many possibilities. Wow. Yeah. You've been able to yeah, go to a really kind of hands-on place with your, with your research. And like you said, man, it's so surprising that you end up in the <laughs> directorate for computer and information science and engineering. Uh, was there, what was the transition like for you, you know, kind of coming from um, working on projects that are more directly related to families? Um, yeah. What, just what was it like, like then shifting towards this computer and information science world? So I'd say that there was a big shift, I suppose, from working on families in grad school. And then as a postdoc, it was everything. It was, it was driven by the questions people asked to be. People wanted to know about hog farming and health impacts and wanted to know about um, industrial hemp, which is like a cousin of marijuana. And so there's weird rules around it, but it grows really well in North Carolina and where it grows well where tobacco grows and it's it could be a huge thing for economic development for example there's so many different issues so I would say I got a broad lens of the issues during my postdoc transitioning to computer science um, in some ways I, I, I certainly do some work that's related to the, the social sciences as well I would say the computer science directorate overlaps and so um, I got to help be a part of a solicitation, for example, for the Civic Innovation Challenge, which is an effort to bring computer scientists and social scientists together to work with cities and local governments and, and nonprofits. And again, bringing together all the stakeholders to tackle um, specific issues related to um, mobility and related to natural disasters. And so while that's a little bit removed from maybe a traditional human development family studies. I mean, if, if you have people who can't live near where they work, what does that mean for families? And if you yeah. have people who are recovering from natural disasters, what does that mean for families? I, I think I've taken a very broad view. Um, but to me, it, it all does come back to kids and families. Some, sometimes, in, you know, sometimes things are a little bit more um, specific in computer science, but um, I think there's a lot of ways in which, you know, computer science affects a lot of our lives in different ways. So it's, very much so. Very much. <laughs> it's completely very much shifted our about. lives. Absolutely. Especially, especially these days. <laughs> yeah, especially family life. What's your favorite part of your current role? And then what's maybe the most challenging for you? In my current fellowship as a science and technology policy fellow at the National Science Foundation, I'm not speaking on behalf of NSF. I'm speaking on behalf of, of me, Natalie, as a fellow. What I've found really rewarding is is the opportunities for for teamwork i think a lot of a lot of time writing can can be kind of a lonely activity even when you do write with other people um i enjoy under normal under non-pandemic circumstances meeting meeting with colleagues every day and the opportunities to shape 
future directions in science, it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of some of these um, these research, these civic innovation challenge research projects, for example, and see how communities come together to to do research um, that that can really help a community for move forward and, and scale up its efforts related to to mobility and and to um, natural disasters. Hmm. While there's a lot of things that I do like about this role, part of what's challenging is I, I do miss doing science and I miss the research process a bit. This is more of an administrative role and while there's a lot of things that I like about that, I, I miss playing with data and answering questions based, based on data and based on what the literature says and, and so on. Mm -hmm. While I don't foresee myself writing academic papers anytime soon, I think I'm really hoping that in my next work to get closer to that science for policy space and doing research and evaluation to, to better serve the American public. Gotcha. Yeah. It's always hard to kind of find exactly where you want to be in that pendulum space. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of opportunities in applied research in every sector. So yeah, HBS sure. majors are very equipped to, to do that type of work. Well, that, to your earlier point, too, I mean, the field's so interdisciplinary and, you know, yes, well, your current role is related still to HDFS. I mean, there's what is not related to children and families. <laughs> it's so exactly. interdisciplinary. Yeah. Um, well, just to close, I continue to ask this double barrel question, which we shouldn't ask in research, but I ask it anyway <laughs> to close. <laughs> to close, is there anything else that you wanted to share that I didn't ask? And um, is there any advice that you have for students or new professionals looking to enter the field? Absolutely. I think it can be really hard to know what to do, especially when it feels like either the, either there's there's two sides of this. One, you feel like there are too many options and you can't decide or or you don't know what the options are. And I think that the best thing that anybody can do is is really to build a network. And I don't mean that in, in the cliche way of, of, of things, but when you have people who know to look out for your resume and when you know what people's day-to-day -day looks like and you, you can think more about the different types of options available. So I will go on LinkedIn sometimes and I will reach out to, to random people and ask if I can have a half an hour of their time to talk about how they got where they are and what type of what 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 they're doing and you know a lot of people are very kind and are willing to help point you in the right direction so you might say oh this person at my university is the director of or the dean of research for example and they do research administration things and then if you think that that is a career you might be interested in either at NSF or NIH you know you might you might start by networking there you might think about reaching out to, if you're interested in policy, you might find a, a nonprofit organization in your state and get to know the person who works. So most, most states have some sort of child advocacy nonprofit, for example, and you might talk to their director of research um, and you, you might find, find an interesting connection there. And really there's so many interesting people and interesting jobs that I didn't know existed. And I feel like 
there's so much to learn and I'm still learning and there's so much to just reaching out even when it's scary people people are very happy to look, to give a half an hour of their time myself included to to talk about different different things you might want to know and hear about your interests and hear about um and think about how they can help you get where where you want to go and the further you go down those lines the closer i think you can get to understanding what the options are and where you might want to go absolutely and i'm so glad to hear you say that because you're a person who is so accomplished in your field and that's something like we tell students i mean and to know that you still will reach out to people just to just to learn just to continue to learn more about what people are doing because you're right most people know about five different major types of jobs they don't know that <laughs> and there are people out here doing things that we've never heard of and exactly. so it's really inspiring to hear that even at even as accomplished as you are at this point that you're still you know engaging in that exploration process and building relationships with people absolutely and one other thing that i will add exactly on that note that you prompted me to think of is there's a specific set of skills that that you need in the academy but out in the world part of part of what has been super valuable for me is i i I like to do a lot of different things and you out in, in the world, you are more valuable, the more things you can do. So I can maybe do a quarter of four people's jobs and be a person instead of doing one specific job. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people find that valuable, right? Like I can serve an evaluation function. I can serve as an administrative function. I can do communications and, and so on. And there really is, value in having a versatile skill set and the best way to build that is to try out different things so try spending a summer at rand it's three months if it doesn't work out you haven't, you haven't lost anything i did an unpaid internship um and and didn't didn't lose anything in the process i've tried different things all throughout to try to get me somewhere closer to where i want to be and find out what i like and what i don't like and what's what's a hard limit and that experimentation approaching it like a scientist have a hypothesis and say <laughs> i i think i might like working in this field and then go test it and there's so much to be gained from that and those are the experiences more than having taken a specific class in child development for example that experience that you had working for a summer with or a nonprofit uh with a family whatever whatever it may be th those experiences are the ones that help you figure out who you are and where to situate yourself. Yes. That's great advice. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Henstebeck. I have enjoyed this immensely. Um, I've learned so much um, from hearing your story. I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they're not working in a job that would normally be considered in the field. I'm interested in hearing a variety of different stories, especially if they are working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.